welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shavit, to discuss Russia's war in Ukraine one year on and AirAsia's fourth quarter results. Thank you and enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? Hi, Ned. Well, it's it's springtime feeling like here in D.C. Got my first flight of 2023 in since we last uh, produced a smooth trip up to New England and back. But we're not here to talk about my travels. We're here to talk about uh, two two big pieces of news. One is the one year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And the other is AirAsia's results. Yeah. So, uh, Ned, you wrote a... Uh... A good article last week, uh, or I guess in the current issue of Airline Weekly, uh, about uh, some of the things that happened uh, in aviation since the uh, the war began a year ago. And um, I, obviously one big conclusion is that uh, the Russian airlines themselves have been very disrupted. Uh, anything else that, uh, that, that comes to mind? Uh, so I, I, yeah, so I spoke to to a number of airline executives, IATA, um, and you know the biggest thing that everyone kept repeating are you know the impact is the airspace closures over Russia, and you know that has significantly disrupted a, a lot of long haul airline operations, uh, both for European carriers, Asian carriers, U.S. carriers. It's really across the board. Um, you know, Finnair was widely touted as the airline most impacted by the closure. And, and that's not surprising. Helsinki, their main hub, lies just, it's less than 60 miles, I mean, less than 100 miles from the border, if I, if, um, or 120 miles from the border of Russia. And you know, they had really built their business over the last decade, flying into second tier cities in China and East Asia using Russian airspace. So it's places like Xi'an, Nanjing, they all had nonstop to Helsinki, where people could easily connect on to, uh, to Europe. Um, and those are, are gone now. And their, their CEO, Topi Manor, said he really doesn't think that those second tier uh, city nonstops are going to be able to come back as long as Russian airspace is closed. Now, that's just one airline. And, you know, Finnair is, is while they had a solid business doing that and have to pivot as a result, they're not the largest airline out there. But the result, the, the impact is far much far uh, wider ranging. You know, American United have been unable to resume or start certain routes to India from the U.S. You know, some Chinese routes uh, from the East Coast might be off the table for United as as China comes back, you know. And, but the flip side of that is is there's some airlines that are really benefiting from this. Emirates and Turkish for two, are, are two of them. You know, Turkey and the United Arab Emirates haven't sanctioned Russia, and so they are two of the very few international global airlines still flying in. And while you don't see many Westerners going to Russia at, at the moment, there are Russians that want to fly out, and, and they're paying a lot to take those flights. So, you know, the, the this is a long way of saying is, you know, the war has prompted a number of changes on how airlines operate and where they can fly. But, you know, as as IATA's Nick Kareen, uh, who's SVP of safety and, and other things, told me, you know, it's uh, the airline is, is the airline industry is resilient. They've adapted. Uh, he said you throw pandemics and wars and this injury fi- industry finds a way to operate. And it really has. Right. The, the um, I was surprised to see that the Russian economy hasn't been really hit that badly, at least not yet. And there may be certain sectors more than others. But uh, I believe GDP contraction is only, you know, a couple, I don't know, 
two or three percent. Uh, don't quote me on that. But uh, I, one of the reasons is simply that you know Russia is just such a big energy exporter, and energy prices have been very high over the past year. They've come down some recently, but that's helped kind of the Russian economy kind of stay above water. And then the fact that you alluded to that they're still very much trading with much of the world, including China, including Turkey, including much of the Middle East, and including India. So they still have sort of that activity there. And if you look at the um, Aeroflot, which is the largest airline in Russia by far, um, they publish pretty timely numbers or, or data about their traffic and uh, even their finances. They're a little bit, uh, I've noticed they're a little bit a um, little bit less information on their website than they usually do, you know, since all this happened. But oh, they don't um, have to abide by IFRS uh, accounting principles anymore if they don't want to, right? Yeah, there. I mean, I'm sure there's there's that, and then I uh, I just imagine that they've lost a lot of talent and um, you know just just skilled professionals that have um, either left the company or even emigrated. And then on top of that, because the sanctions, they haven't been um, you know let alone just you know accounting forgetting about accounting standards they're not even allowed to use the saber uh information system anymore the reservation system so they've had to just completely rewire their systems to a uh just a, a native um native technology and so that you know obviously creates inefficiencies and whatnot but if you look at their traffic for the fourth quarter um just just in terms of number of passengers the international stuff is definitely way down. I mean, they're about, um, but it's not, I mean, it's far from zero. You would think maybe, you know, they were just completely cut off from the world. And it's not like that at all. I mean, it's it's down by about 40%, maybe, maybe by half, let's call it, just roughly. The international, and then domestic is down only by single digits. So there's still a lot of, uh, definitely a lot of activity. And you'll see, yeah, Russians, you know, flying through Istanbul to, or or going to, you know, Mediterranean beaches of Turkey and things like that. And that's that stuff still is very much there. Uh now having said that, yeah, just just all the things, um, not just the you know, I mentioned that reservation system, but the biggest thing of all is that, you know, they're prohibited from uh, you know, they, they have very, very limited access to Boeing and Airbus aircraft now because of the sanctions. So they're having to make do with the aircraft that they already have. And, and it, on that point, Jay, I, I want to say, you know, there's been some comments in the Russian state media that they're not having any issues. But there's also been reports in the Western media that that say, you know, the airlines are starting to look at, at you know, parting out some some aircraft to support other aircraft because they aren't getting new new planes in and they don't have access to global supplies markets and stuff. So, yeah. And you, know, you think that would get yeah. worse over time? I mean, it's only been a year. And if they, you know, if the sanctions remain uh you know just going forward uh that gets tougher and tougher to maintain a uh you know fleet of boeing and airbus aircraft without access to parts um at least you know from the primary markets um now they do have you know an indigenous uh aircraft industry within russia so they have this new ms-21 jet and the ssjs that they've been flying um so that it's you know they do have access to that these are not terribly efficient aircraft, at least compared to their, you know, Boeing Airbus counterparts. Uh, but they very much do plan. I mean, they have this, uh, you know, they just announced this new, uh, you know, strategy 2030, where they say that they're going to, you know, add all these aircraft. They're going to, you know, we're going to grow to 65 million passengers 
um, over, you know, by 2030. And they're going to add, what is it? I said the fleet's going to increase uh, 70% to 339 domestic aircraft, new domestic aircraft. So they're, you know, they still, how much of this is actually, you know, is just how much of this is bluster more than just, you know, is it will it really be realized? Hard to say. Um, but I guess just long, long way of saying that uh, the, in the past year, the Russian airline industry has suffered a lot and contracted a lot, but not by any means, you know, completely. It's not, it's not completely gone. I mean, it's still, that's right. That's right. You know, Aeroflot is still, like you said, domestic travel still is pretty robust in Russia, all things considered, for sure. Um, yeah. There's something you mentioned there about the energy. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about high oil prices and the energy crisis that the um, sanctions on Russia prompted last year. And, you know, in my conversations with different airline executives and, and IATA is, you know, that really hasn't been the biggest challenge to airlines. I mean, the initial jump, of course, was, but airlines have dealt with high oil prices before and they're dealing with it again and they've adapted and, and oil prices are starting to come down. For one reason, you said there's still countries buying Russian oil. Uh, so, you know, that's it's interesting to hear that that that's kind of, you know, just par for the course as airlines you know deal with the, the global operating environment. Right. And there, there have been, um, you know, Western imposed price caps on oil and things like that. There's, you know, it gets, gets kind of complicated on how the price actually nets out. But um, and then, of course, you have the refining spreads and what whatnot that that go into determining jet fuel prices. Um I mean, that's a whole nother topic, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, right now, just, uh, fuel being such an important topic, it's, it's always worth mentioning that as of right now, um, uh, fuel prices are at relatively, I mean, they're, they're at levels that are consistent with the industry making decent money. I mean, it's, we're no longer, you know, if we go back to mid 2022, it was prices were at a level that it was it was just getting very very difficult for all but you know all but a very few airlines to uh, to make any kind of money. But but now things are you know I don't say comfortable but uh, they're at a reasonable level. Airlines can manage at the level that you know the fuel prices are currently at. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, Jay, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about Air Asia. And we're back. So AirAsia's parent, Capital A, reported the results on Wednesday. And while they did not, they, they made a net profit, which looked like it was on items. They'd posted an op, a small operating loss. They definitely had some significant improvement over, over the results during the pandemic, which, you know, and they're, they're sort of riding the wave of recovering travel demand in Southeast Asia and East Asia more broadly. Yeah, I think they said this is their first quarter back uh, back to profit since the pandemic. Um, I know they got some financial aid or some government guaranteed loans or what whatnot uh, to help them through the uh, the most difficult uh, difficult times, you know, during the pandemic. So they're yeah, they are back to profitability. Now I always warn people that uh, unless you have a PhD in accounting, don't try to figure out their margins or you know whether or not they're <clears throat> how well the uh, the company is doing. It's just a very, very complex company with all sorts of uh, different business business units and business activities. They say that they're going to consolidate all their airlines. 
I know they've been saying that for years. They seem to have a plan now. Four airlines. To be clear, four airlines. Uh, it's 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 down to four. Yeah, they yeah. got rid of Japan. They got rid of India. They talked about China. They talked about yeah. They've been kind of all over. The AirAsia X has always been separate. So, but some of the AirAsia X stuff sometimes carries over onto the AirAsia balance. It gets really really messy. Um, but yeah, they they supposedly are going to try to simplify that. We'll see. Maybe we'll get a better picture of how they're doing. Now, having said all that. There's little question that, I mean, absolutely no question that AirAsia has been a very successful airline since its founding about 20, a little over 20 years ago. Um, and they did it, you know, with the same way that a lot of low-cost carriers have, have become successful. Ryanair's in the southwest of the world, just, uh, you know, um, one very important uh, sort of aspect of their business model is their relationship with Airbus. And back in whenever it was 2005 or roughly thereabouts, uh, they struck a very, very, a Boeing and Airbus competed um, for the AirAsia account very aggressively. And they struck a very- Didn't they operate, they operated 737s initially. Very early on, they did. And Boeing was hoping to keep them. Airbus stepped in with what was surely a very attractive offer. AirAsia took it and they subsequently ordered just hundreds and hundreds of aircraft to become one of Airbus's most important customers. And, and as such, they get a very good um, aircraft deal. And so that's a, that's a big part of their success. And, you know, I think they run a good operation. They've done well in Thailand. They've, they've over the years, lost a lot of money in some of these other uh, ventures, whether it be running, you know, an airline in Indonesia or, you know, investing in long-haul, low-cost carriers. And they have, you know, all sorts of different different things that they've, gotten their hands into even non non aviation businesses uh but the core you know airline based in Malaysia as well as the one based in Thailand has been consistently profitable um throughout you know the history of the company and there's no reason to think that you know that won't be true going forward as well one thing about that region the ASEAN region we call it it's it's a you know 10 countries down southeast asia it's a very attractive place to run an airline for a number of reasons. One, that it's just a lot, a lot of tourism there. The labor costs are relatively low. You're just sitting geographically on the doorstep of both China and India. I mean, China to the north, India over to the west. And that's like one third of humanity right there. And then you've got, you know, Australia is not too far. So it really is a good place to run an airline. And at the same time, you have all these airlines in the region that have historically been very uh let's be sort of uh let's be kind and call them uh inefficient um you know the <laughs> yeah, you know, that the is being kind yes yeah we'll be we'll be kind the, the garudas and the thai airways and the you know the malaysia airlines of the world and it's not that these airlines are necessarily bad from a customer point of view it's just they've you know uh lots of government interference and overstaffing and so air asia came in and took advantage of that. And, you know, it's one, that's another reason why it's done well. And right now, you know, a lot of these airlines I just referred to have just cut capacity rather dramatically. Some are in bankruptcy like Thai Airways. And uh, actually, I think all three of those are either Philippine Airlines or, went through bankruptcy. Philippines yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So there's, you know, Philippine, Thai, Malaysia, Garuda were all in bankruptcy. And uh, that's, you know, AirAsia is, was there to take advantage. And there, there's, it's becoming a little more crowded now. There's, you know, Vietjet is growing rather large in Vietnam. And there's, you know, a few other airlines in the region that are challenging. Um, 
area. The Lion Air Group and Lion Air Group for sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they've uh, they've we I always call them the the aircraft shopaholic. It's uh, never never seen an aircraft deal they didn't like, but anyway, they um, they are (laughs) large and they they do have a. uh, you know, big footprint in the region. So, so it is crowded, but, but a little bit less crowded now. And we saw this, you know, when we talked, was it last week, Ned, or maybe two weeks ago, we talked about Singapore airlines. And I think yep. they're benefiting some from some of this capacity taken out of that region as well. You know, Singapore has always been kind of the one shining star as far as, you know, big sort of global airlines in that region. Um, but they don't, you know, they do compete on sure all, but it's uh, their, their bread and butter is flying in Europe and the United States and, you know, just Australia and things like that, which AirAsia doesn't get involved in. Yeah. No, and, and speaking of capacity, AirAsia has been flying um, across their, their four groups. We're talking, sorry, AirAsia, Malaysia, AirAsia, Thailand, AirAsia, Philippines, and AirAsia, Indonesia. You know, their capacity in, 20, in, in the fourth quarter was at 57% of 2019 levels. And I want to say they have, you know, they're putting a lot of eggs in the China basket, planning to rapidly recover there. So China is was at less than 1% of 2019 capacity in December. They plan to have it at 90% of 2019 by August and be 11% bigger by November. Of course, caveat, it's assuming nothing happens, a macroeconomic event. China demand doesn't come back the way they're expecting, but that's what they're saying now. And and if all of this goes as planned, the group's going to be at 85% of 2019 capacity levels by the end of the year. So that's a significant recovery led primarily by China this year um, in the area's results. Right. And you can see how how this region, the ASEAN region is a little bit, particularly the airlines that are dependent on China, are going to be a little bit further behind in the recovery because China's taken, you know, has taken so long to reopen their borders and whatnot. I read something today, um, and by the way, we're speaking on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, actually. I did read this morning that uh, one of the Chinese airlines was saying that the international stuff is just not coming back yet. Um, I, I actually checked. I was uh, I was digging around the Shanghai Stock Exchange website today. I was looking for load factor numbers. They're not nothing for February yet. I mean, it's March 1st as we're talking, so it's just too early to see anything like that. I was looking at January load factors and there's really, you know, there's, there's not not a whole lot you can tell um, from, from China because January they just started opening. So we'll be um, we'll be watching closely to see uh, when Air China and China Eastern, et cetera, when they publish their February load factors, we'll see if, you know, how they look, particularly the interna- on the international side. And I wanted to ask you, I want to see. The, the, the asterisk I want to say there is if internationally, even if it comes back slowly, Chinese outbound travelers are going to go to Southeast Asia probably first. hundred percent. And yeah. that's kind of what I was going to say. Like those load factor numbers for the Chinese airlines will also be indicative of, you know, if you see international good for Air China, well, that's that's probably a good sign for Air Asia and for you know all those other airlines in Southeast Asia that depend on this Chinese traffic. And, and make no mistake, I mean, the Chinese traffic is, I think, just Thailand alone, something like 30 or 40 percent of their tourism during, you know, before COVID. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the numbers. China was by was by far the largest inbound visitor uh, you know, source of visitors to Thailand pre-pandemic. They were yeah. number two for the Philippines and uh, number three for Malaysia and only number three for Malaysia because Singapore was number one um, <laughs> and Singapore is on their doorstep. So that right. doesn't really count. Um, so but China is a massive source of inbound visitors to 
Air Asia's core countries, and you know they stand to benefit a lot as those travelers come back. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's a curious, you know, it's it's a good question to ask: is will it come back? And I tend to believe a lot of it will. Um, remains to be seen if it, you know, actually comes back to the same extent as it existed pre-COVID or even grows. Um, there are some reasons to be skeptical. I mean, the Chinese economy is having, you know, is maybe not the same as it was before. It's, uh, you know, I think so some recent numbers that they're they're starting to show some activity coming out of the pandemic. But, uh, you know, there's some there's structural, I mean, beyond the scope of this conversation, but there are some structural uh, reasons to be worried about Chinese economic growth. And uh, it all just remains to be seen. Uh, but you would think it's, I mean, it's certainly going to be better than it was, you know, during the pandemic. We know that just a question of how much better. Absolutely. Now, one last note on AirAsia before we, we get off the topic uh, that, you know, there's been a lot talked about the super app. There's sort of, you know, travel app that has everything in one roof uh, in recent years. And I want to say the super app, you know, while it is a high margin business, was less than 6% of capital A revenues and to be clear, the airline's revenues, airline division of Capital A, were more than 15 times higher than the Super App. So as much talk about the Super App is, airlines remain the core business of Capital A regardless. Just wanted to right. say that. Yeah, no, that's an important point because, they, you know, Tony Fernandez, their, their founder and CEO, is always talking about uh, trying to diversify into uh, this and that and it seems like I'm surprised he's not doing anything with like artificial intelligence. <laughs> starting to, you know, not yet, not yet, not yet. Because <laughs> he's always kind of whatever is like happens to be trendy at the time. <laughs> he's always like starting a new business or investing. But anyway, you're, yeah, it, it is. It is still a lot of that is still a sideshow. It's you know, it's an airline business, as you point out. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Jay. It's always a pleasure to chat. Listeners, you can reach myself at er at skiff.com and you can reach Jay at js at skiff.com. Jay, have a good week. Yep. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. <laughs>